get this thing going. So um, thank you for finally coming on this uh, show with me. I know we, uh, we have great stories to talk about. So let's get started with tell me your name and what you uh, do for a living. Okay. My name is Gerard Eli Joseph, and I'm a general contractor from Haiti. Okay. And you're my uncle, by the way, so people know that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So tell me about um, your childhood where, where you grew up. Um, in Haiti. I want to know, I want you to see if you can paint me a picture of what your childhood was like because, you know, we, I grew up in Haiti as well and I wanted to s see if we can compare our childhoods being um, under different rules, you know, having gone through Aristide myself and you having gone through Juvalier and, and the transitioning to, into Aristide. So if you can paint me a picture of what childhood was like for Gerard, like when you were like Okay. In, in elementary school or something. You mean uh, basically like the political atmosphere? Back, Not just back the political back. atmosphere, but the way you grew up. Like, what was childhood like for you? Were you running in the streets of Pinchonville? Like, gotcha. you, did you have a bicycle? Like, what was childhood like for you? How did you get to school? Like, stuff oh, like that. Okay, cool. Um, Haiti that I grew up in is a um, hundred, no, a 360 degree Haiti that you know. I mean, okay. one has nothing to do with the other. Okay. Basically, the Haiti that I know is, was, um, for us at that time, a free country, literally a free country, a uh, paradise on earth, literally. Of course, that was one side of the story, if you want uh, to put it this way, because there are other people that would tell you differently because they suffered under the Duvalier regime, because a lot of families disappeared. I mean, if you were into politics in Haiti, you would have a lot, a lot of problems, okay? To the point that they exterminated families. Wow. Uh, if you are not in politics, you just kept to yourself, did your own things, you know, uh, you were fine. Mm -hmm. And basically myself, my family, we were not into politics. So the type of childhood that I had was paradise, you know? Um, you know Petionville, right? Right. Okay. You, you know the street in front of my house? Yes. Okay. There was no asphalt on the road. They were paved dirt road. Mm, okay. Okay. So basically for me, growing up, uh, and there were no cars in Petionville. It was more residential? Uh, it was 100% residential. Okay. So it's like Vivi Michel in a way. Um, something like that. But there were a couple of businesses. One supermarket. Okay. I, re I remember that supermarket so well. What was it called? Um, actually, there were two. There was... Rigo uh, supermarket and there was another one I forgot the name but the guy had like a really small boutique that was called the supermarket also okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you would walk there I mean it was that simple growing up in Petionville because obviously uh, this is where I lived uh, it's and like you still lived to, the, to of this course. day up until you left yes I do um, it's man we played, I mean, our playground was the streets, even though your parents would tell you, don't go out, mm. okay? Uh, whenever they left for work and everything, you took your bike and you started just running around Petionville, but there was no cars. I mean, you would see one car once in a blue moon. You know, there was no people in the streets. There was no traffic. It's like uh, I had this, you remember these um, flyer bikes, I think? They were red uh, high handles with a bunch of flanges uh, going on the sides. I've seen them in movies, yes, but no, not, not personally. I've had bikes when growing up, but not the okay. Red Flyer or whatever the one you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. I mean, I had one like this, 
and it didn't have any freaking brakes. So we would go from all the way up to the street, all the way down, and you had to stop the bike with your, your foot, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, of course, you can imagine a lot of accidents <laughs> happen, but right. we're all fine. Um, listen, when I was young, for me, this was the way, uh, actually for a lot of us, you went to school. Of course, I mean, uh, your parents would take you to school. You would go back home and do whatever stuff you do after school. Then you would be playing, you know? And during the summertime, we would go up the mountains in Kaskov. Or in my case also, I used to go to the provinces because I have an aunt of mine who lived in San Mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where Papi Toto was born. Exactly. Okay? And so basically, it was freedom. There was only one rule at that time. Your parents would tell you, do not let night take you outside. Just be home before dark. Before, before dark, you have to be home. But gotcha. after that, go do whatever you want. Um, listen, uh, when, I when I was a bit, I mean, being young, uh, being uh, not, not yet a teenager, okay, it was just happy times. I mean, yeah. there was nothing else. I can imagine, yeah. And you had mango seasons, which was a big thing back home also because we had a bunch of mango trees. Basically, yep. whenever these periods came, when th this time the mango season came, everybody was on a tree, climbing a tree to eat mangoes. Right. So it was innocent. What school, uh, was your school French? A French system of course, school? Of course. Okay, so what was there... What English school was open at that time? Was Union School open in Cascade? Union open? School was open, I believe, but it was much smaller than you, what you know. It right. wasn't in um, Canapéville. Right, it used to be uh, PV, no? No, it was never in Pétionville. It was downtown, I think. Oh, okay. You know? Uh, I don't remember exactly where because I've never been there. Okay, so you went to a French-speaking school? Of course. Okay. Like 99% of the schools in Haiti. French right. system. right. Yeah, because I went to an English-speaking school. I went to right. Kiskia Christian School. So I didn't go into the French system. I went into the English system, and that's how I learned English. Right. Um, and I never properly, like, took French. So I didn't go into the French school. Um, so that's a big difference between our generation. But when you, when you were, um, when you first had your kid, right, and then you oh. know, yeah. Uh, no, go back to growing your up. Yeah, your teenager years? Yes. Now, when okay, you go got... Ahead. When Sorry. You, no, no, jump for ahead. Let's <laughs> go back teenager years now. <laughs> when when, we, when uh, I was at my teenager okay, years, we were a bunch of cousins also. So basically, we were like a posse. Okay. Everything that we did, we did together. And at that time, it was such a peaceful country. We used to take the taxis, the tap-tap. Even to go to Carrefour, which, which is <laughs> right now, uh, you know, it's hell on earth. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is how we used to move around because we didn't drive. We didn't have cars. So we were either on foot or by taxi or hitchhiking because that was a thing. Still, we could hitchhike. I mean, I had friends who lived in Nabul and we used to hitchhike to go up. Again, the condition was before nightfall, you get home. Mm -hmm. If you didn't get home at the right time, and man, you would have a whooping waiting for you <laughs> like you don't understand. 
And honestly, but why was that? Why, why, why would they want you home? Was it danger, more dangerous at night, or it's just like you know, shit happens? At it night. wasn't dangerous at night because, again, when we when we got to our teenager years, we could go out at night. There was a pizzeria in um, Petionville by uh, the church um, Saint Pierre, okay, Place Saint Pierre. The pizzeria name was Vicenzo's. It was the hanging out place for teenagers, mm-hmm. and. Don't forget, in Haiti, we started everything very young. I mean, we started drinking very oh, young. Oh, there's no drinking age. Exactly. Period. Like, that didn't so, exist. let's say around 14 years old. We would go to the pizzeria, then go to uh, a bar called Le Boc. Okay? What's that mean, Le Boc? Like, I don't know. It was just <laughs> the name, you know? <laughs> and this place also was the hanging place for youth. Because that was one of the restaurants also that was basically open 24-7, okay? I mean, on special occasions, they had special dishes like a goulash Mm -hmm. that you would go there on on December 31st after partying because there were nightclubs also. Of uh, of course, at 14, they wouldn't let you in, but we had our own way of doing other things. Yeah, for sure. On foot, Mm. still, and everything was in the middle of Petionville. So basically... Our life, I mean, was perfect. I mean, imagine a 14-year-old teenager that goes out and everything is right here and there for them. Yeah, for sure. You know? Mm-hmm. And it didn't cost money either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, the, the gourd had much, much more value. Of course. Then. It was basically one for one. But explain to me the, the transition of, of Papa Doc to Baby Doc. What years was that? When did, when did uh, Papa Doc 80s. start again? It was in the 80s. But when did he begin his regime? No, that was way before, like uh, in the 40s. And then when okay? did he end his N- regime? You mean Baby Doc? No, Papa Doc, oh, the I, father. Th- when it, the transition was made, I don't know. It didn't end. He Don't forget, he passed away. Right. So okay, his so son took over. Pa- when did he pass? I don't remember. You don't remember? No. You were, but you were alive when he passed. Uh, I was still a. Yeah, a, a kid. Okay, yeah. so the whole time we're talking now, it's Baby Doc that's in power. The oh, son. yeah. Yes, yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Got it. I think I was maybe three years old or five years old when uh, Papa Doc passed. Right. You know? Okay. I just wanted the timeline because I, want I wanted to just see, figure out where, where we were. Because I remember, like, in the 80s for sure was Baby Doc and then Aristide comes. Oh, no, no. The Aristide came way, way after. after, right? Yes. Okay. Because you had, sure. you had a bunch of transitions in between. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. You know, oh, so I mean, I mean, after Baby Doc, there was a bunch of other ones in between. Of course, right? okay. of course. I mean, yeah. you had the army that had taken power, then you had like a temporary government. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that, but we wanna. I wanna get to where, where your college. Uh, where'd you go for college? Like after you finish high school, which your school is, um, if I'm not mistaken, you start in young and then you graduate from the same school, right? So the system oh, had. Yeah, of course, I mean, Haiti, yeah. you had to go to baccalaureate. Okay. You know, basically. At one point, it was equal two years of college here. That was post-high school? Uh, no, 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 high school. When you were done with high school, you had to go to baccalaureate. That was, okay. uh, yes. So basically, it was a two-year program also. Mm-hmm. And these were considered like a two-year uh, pre-college. Gotcha. So basically, if I mean, it would consider to be your AA degree. Mm. Okay, and so it's like going to the community college and, and then going into a university. Right, but much more advanced, believe it or not. Because don't forget, the French system is a very rigid system where mm-hmm. you actually 
learn, uh, you had to choose, I mean, the, the baccalaureate, science, letters, or whatever. When you got to college, basically, at that time, and only at that time, because after that it was canceled, the system in Haiti was so efficient, so proficient, okay, that it was accepted in the United States as being uh, uh, equivalent to two years of college. Okay, so when you would transfer over... No, but myself, I never went, because mm. after um, 12th grade, I traveled directly. Oh, so you left Haiti? I didn't do baccalaureate myself. Oh, okay. I didn't do the baccalaureate. I went to uh, a small town called Wilkes-Barre in Pennsylvania for uh, a couple of years, and then I transferred to New York. Mm. And that's when you graduated? In New York. Okay. You know? And, uh, so you left Haiti, you were, tw you were what age? 18, I think. Okay. And then you go to Pennsylvania? Yeah. And w what did you do there? Uh, business. What else? Business administration. Gotcha. And you did that for two years? In, How long were you there? In for? Pennsylvania. Yeah. But uh, it's not a place I liked at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I would even say hated because I ended up being going to a small, very small city in the United States where when I got there, I got the shock of my life because there was basically still segregation. Mm. That was an old... Uh, coal miners town and uh, what had happened is that the town was separated in two basically you know like a black area and a white area and I was right in the middle and I didn't understand what was going on mm -hmm. and that was a shock for me coming from Haiti it's like what seriously mm -hmm. you know and this was my first introduction to if you want to call it racism mm. because I've never lived that situation ever Mm -hmm. Back home, never felt it. Uh, yeah, either. I had the same thing growing up. It wasn't until I, I mean, aside from what you would get, obviously in movies from seeing that kind of stuff, you see racism in movies in the '90s where when I grew up. But I probably not for you, you know, probably not see much in the movies. But for me, I like I didn't realize much more about the race until I got to the U.S. Oh, too. of course, because the majority of our friends are black. Like of course, just, they're the majority of the population. You know, even in the Christian English school, the majority. Of the students there were still black. Of course. But oh, don't forget also, I um, like most of us, we are mixed races. Yeah, we are. You know, I mean, I do come from also uh, from a black background. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather wasn't a white man. My grandfather mm -hmm. was a black man. Yeah, my great-grandmother also. I think Papi Toto's um, yes, mom. grandma. Mom. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it definitely come from the mixed race. But, but even though, like... To the Haitian, like today, we're, we'll never be Haitian. They don't look, unfortunately, they don't see it like that way. They don't look at the generations like they always see us as foreigners or like, yeah. just not them, just not Haitian. Exactly. I mean, but the, again, that's such a wide subject of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talks because, I mean, obviously, there a lot of them are opinions. I mean, based on yeah. what you're living, what you're exper experimenting over there. But it's such a wide issue, such big problems, which is one of the reasons why I think Haiti is in the states where it is now. Because, but honestly, this is a whole subject by itself. Right. You know, and this needs to be addressed eventually by everyone in mm -hmm. the country. Because if you don't understand your past, how can you move forward? 100% agree with that statement. You know, so, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Okay, so you're, you're in Pennsylvania. You're there for two years. Uh, you said you didn't like it very much, um, and you were shocked by the segregation. Was that the biggest culture shock you got when you when you transferred from Haiti and going into the United States? That was yeah, well, oh, definitely. Are okay, so when you go to New York, how different was that compared no, to Pennsylvania? No, hold on. I got arrested in Pennsylvania. No shit? For, <laughs> <laughs> for what? This is the thing. We I went to a party with a friend. Okay. Again, I'm telling you, I don't understand what's going on. So basically... I get to this party, and then suddenly we're being attacked, okay? And this thing turned out to be a huge fight, and it was like uh, something between blacks and whites, and I didn't understand that what was going on. Mm -hmm. We got arrested. I mean, everybody at the party got arrested. Uh, uh, well, some uh, were able to get away, but for me, it's like I was just standing there and defending myself. It's like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. The dean had to come and uh, get us out. You know, because obviously it was like a ridiculous thing. We just got all arrested. And uh, I was talking to the dean of the school, and it's like, explain to me. And this is when he started explaining where I am, in what town I am. Mm. Uh, like I told you, it was a coal mine town. Mm -hmm. the, these coal mines were uh, exhausted, so every mines were closed. There was no work, super poor. Okay, and and this uh, he was explaining to me. This is how it was. It's like what? That's crazy. again. How did you end up there, though? Well, my parents decided this is where I had to go because they have <laughs> good friends over there. And okay, they said it's paradise. It's like Hades. Oh man! No, <laughs> the, the thing is, one of the professors in the school was my one of my mom's very good friends from their childhood. Gotcha. You know, and this is how I ended up there. Mm. Uh, I hated it. Moving to New York was better, but again, looking back at it, I wasn't happy in New York either. Turns out I'm not a city person. Okay. You know, so yeah, I just finished. I mean, I had to take the subway to go to school. How long were you there for in New York? Uh, I think I ended up spending two or three years in New York, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but again, New York, for me, looking back at it, was not my favorite experience gotcha you know and did you have friends did you have friends going did you have friends coming with you from haiti that went to pennsylvania or did you oh, go over there no. by yourself by myself you made friends over there i'm assuming of after course. a couple of years and then in new york was it the same thing did you have friends already in new york that you went to go meet or did you go in there like by in yourself new york again? was a bit better i mean i did make a couple of new friends but i had a lot of haitian friends also in new york okay but we didn't live in the same area. But nonetheless, I mean, uh, I still went to parties. Mm -hmm. I had to take, like, the subway for a couple of hours, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really like New York, to be and honest with you. L again, looking back at it, yeah, wasn't the best experience of, for me. Okay. It's like the school where I was. I mean, I had to take the subway for an hour. Uh, an hour and a half, was it? Uh, go, no, one hour. Go to school and... It's like in the middle of the city. It didn't feel like school, mm -hmm. okay? It felt like you had to go to an office that you didn't enjoy mm -hmm. and then go back home. It's like, what? No. And you were still doing business administration? Yeah. Okay. And what, what's next after New York? You end up back in Haiti? I ended up back in Haiti and started working with my dad. And he, what did you guys do back then? Um, he had an import business. Gotcha. Again, okay. I mean, we were in food products, like most people were in Haiti. Mm -hmm. Most business. It's I a mean, generational business. It was started with your grandfather also, or did yes. your dad start it? No, with my grandfather also. 
you know, yeah. but like most of us, everything yeah. has to do with business. That's it. We don't have scientists. We don't have astronauts in Haiti. So uh, you've never were in touch with other types of things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, it would be some somewhere along the line of a business or the bank industry, mm-hmm. or just working with family too. Oh, just, of course, uh, most of it. Most of the time, that's what it was. That's what I try to explain to some <coughs> people here. Um, and it's like when, like, I always taught, I always figured for myself. I, I always thought I would end up in Haiti and just work with Papi Toto and just eventually do the lineage of like you know how yes. you know with you and for example and how a lot of families do. And then Mike had passed away, so that kind of broke that chain a bit, and it went from Papi Toto to me. And then, you know, we did. I did end up in Haiti, and but Haiti had changed so much, and it, it, it had become a place that was so difficult that we couldn't end up staying anymore. And it just was very sad because I didn't think of anything <coughs> else I could do. Like, I always just thought I would just end up in Haiti. Like, I would just end up working there. I never paid attention to my schooling years because of that. I always use that as a kind of, like, cushion. Like, I can do whatever I want in the States. I know I can just go back to Haiti. I'm always going to have work. It's my family business. How can I not have a job, right? So I literally blew my 20s doing nothing over here. Right. You know, and it wasn't until after I realized after, like, damn, I might not have Haiti as an option anymore. What the fuck am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said before, that reminded me, like, we didn't have astronomers, we didn't have these things in Haiti. Most of the times, we we're kind of like embedded into this system, like, hey, you go to college, you learn business, you come back home to work for your business. Like, you literally have a business waiting for you. Listen, at one point, my father was doing business with an American guy, okay? I will never forget that man. I mean, I loved that guy. My dad represented a chemical company in Haiti that. Uh, was selling products to clean industries. Okay, for the machinery, I'm sorry. I used to work with them, you know. I mean, I used to go visit the clients with that man. And he saw an aptitude that my parents didn't see in me. I was like a very mechanical person, always been. I mean, since I was a baby... When they gave me, I mean, when I received the toy, the first thing that I would do with that toy is dismantle that thing, you know, unscrew every single piece of it and then put it back together. But I've always been like this. So I had had a very mechanical mind. And he was telling me, telling my parents, you know what, you guys are making a mistake if you make him go into business. He has to go into robotics. Mm. And he lived not too far from Georgia Tech University. And he said, you know what? He's going back with me to Georgia, and he's going to stay with me, and I'm going to put him in school, and I'll be his guardian over there. Well, coming from a business family, the response was, hell no. You know, he's going to go study business like his dad, and that was it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, looking back at this situation, I kind of regret not having gone that way because for me, that would have been the thing. Watch, I mean... How do you think I became a general contractor? I was going to ask that next because that's how you introduce yourself and we haven't gotten there yet. You know, it's like <laughs> I went from businessman because I ended, I mean, I worked for a long time uh, downtown in the business. Mm-hmm. And then life took me another way also, you know. Um, I believe that God redirected my life. And I started learning 
that part by myself, never having gone to school, okay? And again, because of the way my brain functions, obviously, I understand that language. You see construction, I understand the language. Uh, you're talking about weight ratio. I mean, if you're building something, you need to know what's going to resist or not, correct? If you're going to use steel and, steel and cement, you need to know things about that. And so, I mean, these things made sense in my brain. Uh, one thing I know for sure, I mean, living in Haiti, being where I was already having a kid, it's, it wasn't an option for me to go back to, to school. Okay, hold on. I have to stop you for a second. You just mentioned the kid. So you got married and all this happened. You were still working with your dad. Oh, yes. I was still in business. Yeah, you're still, yeah, you're still in business, but you're working with your dad. Uh, yes, but at one point, I mean, I got separated with my dad and I had my own thing. Okay, so you end up opening your own business, but kind of what your dad was doing. Basically right? the same thing. Actually. Basically the same thing, just yeah. a different branch. Right. Okay. Um, so now you now you find yourself with a child, right? Mm -hmm. How different is Haiti now? Before you continue with the business part, how different do you see Haiti is when you have a child now? Are you thinking like maybe, hey, the country has gone through crazy transitions? Am I thinking about a future for my kid here also? Okay. The situation was already not too good but not to the point where it is today. Let me try to explain the way back then, how we saw this thing. Was it ever a choice for us to leave Haiti? No, it wasn't. Because even though that we knew it could get worse, because I have to tell you what we lived during the Deschoucage period under Aristide. What year was that? Uh, the 90s or is that the 2004? No, that was in the, the 2000s, the, his first... His, His first, first um, so that was 91, 92, man, something like that? I don't totally remember exactly, but yes, in the 90s. What I, I mean, this is, when, when was it? That was before I got married? That was before I got married. No, before, no, hold on. Before I got married, when there was the déchoucage after the uh, Duvalier, mm -hmm. okay? So what happened after that? Yeah, get, no, let's get to that. When Duvalier, uh, when Jean-Claude Duvalier left the country, mm -hmm. there was a systematic chase of a lot of people, the Tonton Macoute particularly. And who were they? Just regular people who went into that special force. Right, but they were, they were um, a private, like... It was his private army. Yeah, his pri that's what I was going to say. It was his private army, oh, of right? Of course, yeah. and this is how he controlled a lot of things around the country. What I witnessed... Okay, the massacre that was systematically done in front of you. Okay, um, it's like, oh my God, where, what am I living there? Again, I mean, I was very young. I was in my 20s. So for me, I lived it differently. Now, if that thing happens at my age, I see it a different way. Mm -hmm. When you're younger, for some reason, you don't seem to quite grasp a hundred percent what's really going on around you sometimes you don't think about it you just it's the motion of moving forward you know and at that time looking back i should have left haiti because that was the beginning of the end you know um to where we are today today is total chaos i mean uh, there's no other way to put it it's hell on earth literally yeah, it's really bad you know um, during that period, what we lived, I mean, what 
we saw, okay, and how a bunch of time you escaped barely with your life, because when these people, when the people was out after uh, whoever they were out, if you were there, wrong place, wrong time, too bad for you, man. And what were these people? You're talking about like uh, civilians? Yeah, civilians in the that streets, were just, but the yeah. mass. Right, that, and they were just fed up with the government. Well, I think it was not just about being fed up with the government. They were fed up with all the Makuts. They wanted to kill them because they did a lot of abuses also. You have to right. understand, this wasn't uh, like a, a, a good system at all because families, again, suffered a lot. A lot of people were actually murdered, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, families disappeared. Total, whole families yeah. disappeared. Damn, that's fucked, man. Uh, so imagine... Watching for the first time of your life, mm -hmm. a guy being cut to pieces by machetes Damn. while still being alive. I mean, they would cut the limbs first. So imagine, and you were looking at this thing morning, day, and night, and then burnt. That was systematically the system of this being done. And of course, uh, certain places, but I have to say one thing at that time. A few businesses and houses were attacked, ransacked, and totally destroyed. But these were very targeted places of people who were in that government, in the Duvalier government, and they were actually doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's just anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? now it's just like a pick of the draw. Like it just yeah. could be anybody, and they're just gonna pick you. Of course. Back then, they had they had more like a. They had an idea of where they were going wrong and they wanted to change it. This is their way of telling people they want to change things. Like I told you, it was very targeted. Right, Okay. exactly. Which was different. Um, after the having lived this, then you went through a bunch of different governments. And imagine that you're spending your whole youth until the day I got married to Ingrid. And the first year, I got married in July, okay, 92. <clears throat> September of uh, uh, that same year was the first uh, U.S. invasion. Mm. Okay, but imagine I just got married and we were going through a lot of issues in the country, insecurity, people being killed and blah, blah, blah. So from the get-go, the country was already on a downfall. Yeah, you know it's bad if the U.S. has to come and do an of invasion. Course. What the fuck? Then imagine up to... This day, you had like a bunch of people coming in, supposedly to help Haiti. You had the UN coming in. And it's like you had small periods of time where things were sort of calm. Mm -hmm. But it was a false mm -hmm. calm. Because the thing is, it was just the storm preparing to, 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 to get there. These were like periods. Oh, I think you got something with your phone. Sorry. Okay, the, these were like periods of uncertainty all the time. Because it was calm, because there was no upheaval or uh, deshoucage being done, people, for me, just kind of closed their eyes, not addressed the real problems, and just went on through life. But the problems continue amassing over the mm -hmm. years. Until yeah, one day it's going to pop. Exactly. You know, and today it's popping. Now, it popped a different way because I don't think nobody realized that it was going to be overtaken by gangs, mm -hmm. you know? You would think it would be a revolution like every other country on earth. But no, it turned out it's very different, mm -hmm. you know? And we have this situation today. So imagine going through all of these years, 
It's like basically developing a script where you say, okay, we're going to go by one or two echelon every time, making the situation worse for the people also, until it explodes. And yeah, this is where we are. Wow. Living through all of these years, having a kid was very difficult also, because I'm sure you felt like this also. It's like you were not allowed to even go in front of the house gate. Mm-hmm. Because all of us were afraid if something happens and the kid would be in the yard yeah. inside uh, an enclosure. Yeah, I remember uh, growing up at the house. We didn't before the gate mm-hmm. at Papi Toto's house where I lived. Uh, we didn't have a gate when I was growing up, and I used to play with the yard boy. We used to play soccer. We used True. to go rock the neighborhoods. And then I remember when the gate came. Mm-hmm. It was just around that time. It was like ninety two, ninety three. It was yes. right around Aristi was leaving for the first time. Yes. Yeah, and then there was like you said that transition where it felt like it was kind of calm and. You know, and it was just a calm before the storm, like you said. And then he comes back again, and it's just like... Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Talking about a return for the sequel, right? Exactly. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Hopefully, it's not a trilogy. Remember, I mean, we still used to go to the beach, right? No, yeah. Okay, so that's something else. That's something you just end up putting up with it, and you just try to find a way to coexist and live. And, (coughs) And like you said in the beginning, a lot of people would just turn a blind eye. Like, if you weren't directly involved with what was happening, you were living okay. You know, if you weren't in the in the shit, you know, you're not going to have a problem. So people would have this way they would just, like, keep their, like, you know, they keep their blind eye away from it. They would go to the beach or go to their mountain houses. They try to keep the, do the things that you say you used to do when you were a kid. You go to the mountains for Correct. the weekends, all these, and you try to, like, mask what's really happening until now it. You can't really hide it anymore. It's, no. it's everywhere. You see, the good comparison for me for Haiti's situation for all of us, actually, and even the people, because um, bottom line, everybody has one wish, is to be able to wake up in the morning, take your kids to school, work, make some money, go back home, and live your life, right? But again, with this situation, I mean, escalating, it's like the perfect comparison is this. Imagine that you have a bath, a, 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 a bokit on the fire, okay, that has cold water and a couple of frogs come in that water. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize that there's fire underneath. Right, that they're eventually gonna, gonna cook. Okay, so the water starts getting warm, so they start feeling comfortable mm-hmm. until they're cooked because that water is boiling. Mm-hmm. This is exactly Haiti's situation. You know, it's like you have a fire under you, but you're mm-hmm. not feeling the heat yet. Yeah. Pretty much until now, it's at boiling point, and now oh, we can't course. stay in the water. And most of the time, it's too late. Now, imagine again, and this I was telling you uh, a while back, one of the hard decisions, I mean, I think at my age, I'm 56 years old now. It's like I decided to come to the States. Honestly, it wasn't a choice, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh Obviously, Ingrid couldn't stay in Haiti because, I mean, of what we've lived also, you know, going through the destruction of our business and everything. Uh, for me, she's like uh, totally shocked. I mean, still to this day, okay, she suffers from, for me, she suffers from PTSD from that moment. A hundred percent. Understandably also. Right. Honestly. So, I mean, you have a tendency of following your wife. But the thing is, I wanted to be safe also because I, I got to a point where I got sick and tired of having to think about, okay, how to survive, mm-hmm. you know? 
So I came here, but starting a life at 56 years old, restarting your life again, it's not like uh, just drinking a glass of water. It's like a tough decision to make. No, 100%. That's why, that's why I felt like it was really important to have this conversation is because I realized that if you're here, that's, that took a lot. Not a lot of people leave. They, like I said, they stay there. They put up with it. But the fact that you decided to take action and transition is, I think, a story worth telling because a lot of people contemplate this and it can be very difficult. And that's why I feel like it's important to share that transition. Like, how difficult is it? And having the support of your wife and your kid and all these things, like, to come over here, like, it must have been... A really tough decision, like you said, a tough pill to swallow to have to leave the comfort and your bread making money, you know, or your business and just have to come here and start over. Okay. I'm going to give you a little thing. You know, when I decided to stay, mm. in all honesty. You mean to leave? No, Not to stay here. Oh, to stay States. here in the U.S. Okay, yes, gotcha. to stay in the U.S. Uh, beginning of March of this year. Okay. Because before, in my head, even though Ingrid said she's not going back, I said, okay, you know what? Because you and, and Kevin are here, you're safe, I'm fine with it, I'll just travel back and forth. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was never a plan to actually stay in the States. Not in a million years, okay? Because for me, my life is in Haiti. Um, listen, we, I still have the business, I mean, the building down there. Of course, my business, I mean, all the projects are obviously not going to work right now because nobody's going to invest in a country that's going to hell, you know? Mm -hmm. So I only made the decision of actually staying in the U.S. this March, which was like, what, uh, what month? A few months ago. Yeah, a few months ago. It was only then that I decided again, like, you know, apply for the green card. Because, what, Ingrid's a U.S. citizen, fine, so I never wanted, I mean, I've been married, what, gonna be married 31 years this year, I was never interested in even having the green card, mm -hmm. because for me, my, uh, my life is in Haiti. Mm -hmm. Listen, our families are still there. Yeah, my grandma's still over there. You know, so, and your friends, and everybody that Aunts, you know, your yeah, life. so much, yeah. That's but what I was saying earlier, like, <coughs> I didn't see myself outside of no, Haiti. No, none of us did. Yeah. But... You see, there's a lot of people that tell you, well, a lot of people made the choice a few years back because we saw what was coming. It's not that we didn't see what was coming. I mean, in my case, I saw what was coming. Uh, I don't think I'm a blind person to a situation. But, but my, you were hopeful. My reasoning was, uh, this is where my life is, so I'm going to tough it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Obviously, doesn't mean that you, because you can tough it out, that means your wife or your kids or, or your family can. And this is why I'm here today, because my wife can't. Obviously, my son is not going back. So my life is with my wife and my son. Right. But so what, what in March made you decide to finally stay? What exactly what I just told you right now. Because I figured that my, I have to start a new life because of my immediate family. Right. So 
uh, it's either that or you're going to have a, like what, a marriage overseas. I mean, that you see each other for I months mean, in a while. People do that so many times, man. And I'm surprised, honestly, that you didn't end up going that route, you know, and, uh, and, and you s deciding to stay here is a big, is a big thing. It's still an option to be honest. I okay? mean, I feel like it's always, it's always a possibility. It's always going to be an option because like you said, you do have that building. You do have interests there that you have you know you have a house you have family you have all these things the decision that i actually took is this one i'm giving myself and i'm giving basically haiti a couple of years to see if it's gonna actually uh change or Start to maybe show some sign of you know correction or of course i mean something I mean, we still have no president uh, that's fucking wild man let's not even get into this yeah let's <laughs> okay <laughs> So I decided I'm going to give myself a couple of years. But in the meantime, I have to be doing something, which is why I decided, okay, I'm going to do the whole process, uh, get my papers in order so I can start working here. Mm -hmm. When I started thinking like this, I decided, okay, you start your life in the States. Even if Haiti goes back to normal, I mean, I still have my, my things over there. And I can do the back and forth, you know, because once I, uh, but the thing is, is to give myself a chance also mm -hmm. uh, to, to do something else. But from that also came excitement because it's a new life. It's a new challenge. And I think I, I, I never thought it would be that way. I, I, I would more think that, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Or, you know, at this age, start over. It's going to be difficult. Turns out I didn't take it like this. <coughs> I'm taking it more like an amazing experience that I'm living. I'm taking it like, uh, again, it's a new challenge. I'm right. very excited about That's it. That's great, though. Uh, you know, the possibilities are endless. I mean, I choose my own destiny right now. Yeah. Of course, if God allows it, because again, for, for the longest time in my life, I mean, I choose a path and he decides that I have to go somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know, and I ended up doing certain routes that I would never think I would be doing. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm all excited. I mean, uh, it's a new life. Right. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm excited because that we, you know, we're here again because, uh, you know, we, we, it, it was nice being in Haiti and being with you and going to your house and the barbecues and the stories, which we're going to get to some of your crazy conspiracy stories. Oh, my God. That, that <laughs> my friend, is what this podcast is really about. Okay. Is you and your conspiracies, because I love these conversations. And you have great stories. Uh, and we're going to talk about your Bigfoot story in, in just a minute. Um, but uh, uh, just wanted to say that you know, it was, it was great to have you here and not there and, and not be able to have these conversations because we had them so much growing mm. up. So I'm, I'm very happy that you found a way to look at the positive of why you're here and not be so stressed, stressed out to the point where you're like, you know, what, I'm just going to go back to Haiti and just fucking figure it out yeah, that you're actually yeah. trying and you have an open mind and you have an optimistic mind. It's that's that's should be something a lot of people should follow. But um. Let's get to some of those uh, interesting stories. I re I'm really like uh, your your Bigfoot story, and I want you to <laughs> <laughs> tell everyone about this story because it's a, it, it's in Florida, and there's and and if you follow the lore of Bigfoot, you know there's been sightings for so many years, right? But not many in Florida. There's been a couple. Most of the time, it's somewhere else. But yeah, not but in it's Florida. usually all the way up north. Yeah, also. it's somewhere up north where there's a lot of trees and stuff right. like that, but not. In Alligator Alley. So please explain to me, what were you doing on Alligator Alley 
Okay. And what is it that you think you saw? <laughs> Remember, Kevin was in Fort Myers, in school in Fort Myers. Sure, yeah. So I was going to pick him up. Okay, at that time, he didn't have the car yet. Right. So I was driving. And this is fairly recent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not like the 70s or oh, something. No, 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 no. We're like... talking about a couple of years yeah. back, okay? <laughs> so I was driving up. He was already on his second year. So that was about, what, maybe three years ago, four years ago? And I was driving up. But the thing is, you see, on Alligator Alley, there's not a lot of stops. Right? I don't think there is a stop. Uh, none at all. Yeah. Actually, there's like a little rest area. But turns out, about an hour drive in, I needed to pee. You know, I tried to hold it as much as I could, but I could no longer hold it. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to stop on the side of the road. Going up, I stopped on the right side, you know, the side by the waterway, you know, on the, on the right side of the... Right, where the swamp is, right? yeah, yeah, where the swamp is. So I decided to stop there. So I, w- I, I went out of the car and moved toward the right side, the, the passenger side. So I started doing my business, and I felt like something was watching me. Don't ask me why. I just had the weirdest feeling. And I started looking around left and right. I mean, while I was peeing, going, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I turned my le- head to the left, and I, st- I thought I saw something moving. But I have to tell you, there's like these metal fence, and these metal fence are usually eight feet high. Right. Okay. I thought I saw something moving on my left, and I said, eh, you're just dreaming, man. You know? And I continued. And suddenly, I saw that thing moving. I didn't, I mean, and it started walking uh, along the fence towards where I was. But is it, it, is, it, is it hiding behind trees or something? It's behind a bunch of bushes. Okay. Okay, because that fence has a lot of bushes in front of it. Right. Okay? But I have like the waterway and the other side of the, the water and that fence. And I'm not, I mean, I have to tell you, I'm not somebody who believes in ghost stories yeah, or I, stuff like this. Yeah, I know. Like I this. know. That's what makes the story okay? so good. <laughs> For me, I, I, my approach is very... I don't know how to say this. I mean, you know the kind of person. You see it, you, you have believe to, it. Exactly. <laughs> or no, you see it, you question it. Okay. Yeah. And then you decide whether to believe it or not. Okay. Okay. And I see that thing walking towards me. But what freaked me out is that that thing was way taller than the fence. And it was like a shot. I'm not going to say you uh, say that I saw an actual face or I'm going to tell you all the details about the face. Because it was behind the bushes, you know? But that thing was way taller than the fence. That thing was huge, okay? And walking on both feet. Mm. It kind of wanted to look like a lot of the things that you see on these documentaries about yeah, like a what Bigfoot. A, a Bigfoot looks like. Because it definitely wasn't a bear. Oh, no, 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 no. I know what a bear looks like, okay? <laughs> that thing was not a bear. And it was in it, when it started walking towards that fence, towards where I was, okay, then I started freaking out. Because it's like, I said, okay, Jigo, re- relax. I mean, there's the water, there's the fence, there's... So just finish. And my pee just stopped, man. I couldn't pee. You didn't even finish peeing? Are you kidding me? I mean, I said, you know what? <laughs> relax. Because it was, like I told you, that thing was walking, walking towards me. Again, I mean, very far from me because of that water thing. So he would have to jump. 
But nonetheless, when I saw this, I started questioning a lot of things also. It's like, maybe is this thing real or is it just a guy doing a hoax? But I was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I don't think it was a hoax, okay? I don't think it was a joke. Yeah, some bored guy is just no. sitting there in the alligator alley trying to fuck with people. No. I mean, what? In the middle of nowhere? No way. He must, it could be a really bored person, but yeah. And at one point, uh, because um, I turned and I looked toward whatever I was looking at, he stopped. Okay? And this is where I really freaked out. Why the hell did you stop? Okay? Because I noticed you noticed it. I just finished being... Went in oh, so car. you did end up finishing. Oh, yeah, I ended up finishing. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it was interrupted for a little bit. Okay. I was like, there's no way you didn't oh, finish no, no, peeing no, 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 and no. you got in your car and you drove off. Like, no. you, you would literally piss yourself. No. Like, you can't stop when but you go. It stings. When I told you, when, uh, like I told you, when I looked at whatever it was, he stopped. And this is kind of, mm -hmm, okay, don't, I don't need to be here anymore. You the know? fact that, 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 that you felt un. The fact that you felt bothered by it and I generally like freaked you out is what makes it so good for me as a story because of what you said before. You don't believe like ghosts and shit like that. No. That shit don't, 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 don't apply to you. You don't get scared. Not Gerard. Mm, so the fact that usually this thing not, no. <laughs> freaked you out, I'm like, yo, that is, that is pretty crazy. Now, when I was on the road driving, honestly, if I could go back, I would have gone back. I'm going to tell you why. I thought it was like a really amazing little moment, okay? Because it wasn't very long. But there's people in the car, obviously, right? No, I was by myself. Oh, you were by yourself. Yes, okay. I was just going to pick up Kevin. Gotcha, sorry. You know? Yeah. And for me, it was like, wow, okay, what did I just saw? What did I just live, okay? Because it's something interesting, you know? It's something that you think might not exist. But life has taught me that whatever you think doesn't exist, most, because you thought of it, okay, it either somebody already invented that thing or that thing is for real. Mm -hmm. And this applies to everything. I never dismiss any story that somebody says. Of course, there's like a bunch of stuff that are way exaggerated. Right. Um, I don't believe in exaggeration also. I believe in examining something, looking at it properly, and then decide, okay, could this be real or is this just a joke? In that case, I'm sorry, man. That thing was real, as real as it gets. <laughs> it wasn't a, <laughs> a figure of your imagination. <laughs> no, it was not. Okay, okay. You know? All right. So, all right. yeah. Oh, you know what? I want you to explain to me that thing you have in your kitchen. What do you mean? That water filter thing. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that shit? It's a reverse osmosis water filter. Okay. Um, it has cartridges in there that filter particles from the water. And you just get the water from your sink, right? Yeah, I got the... But don't forget, I told you, uh, because the water from the sink is so bad, uh, it comes with a little chart, okay, that tells you how many parts per million is bad water, mm -hmm. acceptable water, good water. And what is that? What, what, what's, what are the, some of the... You remember them? About the, the paper? More or less. More or less. Um, bad water is uh, 600 parts per million. And above? Yeah, no, uh, the, the 600 parts per million is the worst. Uh, uh, when you go uh, down, actually, uh, the numbers, the perfect drinking water, I mean, a good drinking water is 50 parts per million. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I use the tap water, it gives me 650 parts per million. So we decided, okay, let's try something. I put it in the Brita, 
And from the Brita, I put it in a machine. When I use the Brita, it tells me 250 parts per million. When I filter that water now, it gives me eight parts per million, which mm. is perfect drinking water. Mm. Plus, it has that mineral cartridge that remineralizes the water. So yeah, after it's been filtered, you know, from wherever yes. the source of the water comes from, it's being filtered by the city, and then it goes through your Brita filter yeah. in your faucet, then goes to another filter yeah. that ends up getting minerals dumped back into it. What the fuck? Look at the process your water has to go through before you can drink it. Well, Listen, when I got here, I couldn't drink any water. Okay, I mean... Uh, you I were we were buying bottles of water. Yeah, I was buying bottles. But again, bottles are in what? Plastic. Yeah. Okay. And then nowadays, you want to reduce your plastic consumption. Okay, now, the problem is it's not the plastic consumption. It's the chemicals that are produced by the plastic. Right. When the plastic is hot. It's like everybody tells you, yeah, but the bottle is not hot in my house. Like, yeah, but do you know where it went? Yeah, how it got to your house. From? Yeah. So it was hot, so um, no thank you. Mm -hmm. So this is why I decided to buy this thing. Interesting. And Did you look up anything else? Because I know you and your research, before you buy something, you probably exhaust the yes. amount of information you can get. So yes. why did you end up with that? And not something like my wife did, which is the clay pot. So at my house, we, uh, which you've seen also, and you drink right. the water, I'd be very interested now to take that water and put it into oh, your machine to see how much the parts per million is. Because at my house, my wife, what she did, she got a local lady in, I think it was in Miami Lakes. Mm -hmm. She makes these clay pots, just like the old ways they used to filter water. And that's how we filter the water. In oh, the house. of course. But we take it straight out of the faucet. It doesn't yes. go through a filter like you. You go through a Brita and then you go into your machine okay. and it goes into... I'll tell you why I got this particular model. Yeah. Uh, again, there are cheaper models because this one is not too cheap. Okay. Mm. But the thing is, because we live in an apartment, I'm not going to have a definite system installed. Right. Makes because sense. there's one that you can mount under a sink, but it mm -hmm. comes with a tank, uh, a relatively big yeah. tank, plus all the <coughs> cartridges and blah, blah. So I decided to get this one from the same company, by the way. There are a bunch of other systems out there that cost way more also. So, I mean, I had decided the price range. That was the first thing. But again, this one was still rated one of the best on the market. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand something. Any system that kills bacteria usually uses reverse osmosis. Reverse osmosis destroys any particle in the water, bad or good. And it reverse osmosis, correct me if I'm wrong, it uses ultraviolet light. To something like that, yeah. Yeah, it okay. does something like that where it, it kills all the supposed to kind of filter it without like going through filter right it just goes right. it's just like that basically yeah but destroys. no the first pro the first step is the reverse osmosis and uh -huh. then it goes through different cartridges to get rid of particles gotcha also. okay one of the reason why i got this one particularly is because i'm worried about two particular products fluoride and chlorine in the water which Both there is a lot of yes which is very bad. For yeah, you. that's the water that we that I shower in. I cannot tell you how much I miss the water in Haiti oh, when I me, used to shower. Me oh too. my god. Okay, me too, actually. Like if you have dry skin issues in Florida, you can buy all the lotion you want. Yeah. It's not gonna help. Mm -mm. You need to find a way to reduce the chlorine in your water. Actually, there is. It's called an in-house filter. So mm -hmm. basically what you do is like you buy a whole system. And uh, every drop of water that comes from the city to your house goes through that system. Mm -hmm. Basically the same system as right. I have here. So it's, 
Interesting. It's spending the money because it does cost. Interesting. I'm really interested to see what the clay water comes out. I will, next time I come here, I'll definitely. Yes, bring it. yes, that's true. Okay, so now let's get to one of my favorite things to talk about: aliens and UFOs, <laughs> my friend. So please entertain me with your beautiful stories on this. <laughs> Starting with the first one, you know which one I'm talking about. The one in the... Puerto Rico? Yes, that one first, and then we'll get to the juicy one. Okay. Well, my experience with this is kind of... You know, I have a tendency of keeping to myself about these things because people joke about them. Oh, I love it. But this is the reality. (laughs) I get to my sister-in-law. We just had come from the airport. I mean, I I traveled to Puerto Rico, and then... I was just in the backyard. She had these long chairs. So I was just laying down in the backyard. We were kind of tired. And we were just talking, you know. You say you it's you, your your wife, Ingrid, and your sister-in-law, right? Yeah, okay. my sister and her kids were there also. I mean, Brian they and they were, Melissa? Yeah, okay. Brian, but they were like uh, very They're, small. Okay. And I was facing the house and looking at my sister-in-law's bedroom window. And suddenly I'm looking up and my brain is not registering what I'm seeing in the beginning. Right away, it took me a couple of seconds to register what I was looking at. Because this is the thing. There was, it was all black. I couldn't see the sky. It was all pitch black. Okay. But in the middle of whatever it was, there was a super shiny light. That shiny light I was looking at the window was not reflecting on the windows. That part I didn't get. And then when I realized what I was looking at, I, I mean, I jumped from the chair and looked up, okay? And that thing just went straight up, and I saw the shape, and it was a triangular shape like a mm-hmm. lot of people are seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay? How low do you think this thing was? I wouldn't be able to tell you because of the blackness of the... Surface. I mean, it was very. Don't forget, it was at night. Right. So, but you, it, it, you're seeing it through a window. No, outside. Outside. So, if if you're seeing black, <coughs> that means it has to cover a big portion of your field of view. It definitely was humongous. Right. Okay. Okay. It was definitely very, very, very right. big. But it wasn't plain altitude. It was definitely lower. Oh, it was much lower. Yeah. So I'm trying to see. Uh, like, is it? Did you think it's as tall as a, si- a skyscraper? Or you think it's lower than oh, that? Oh, no, no, no. Maybe, listen, 10, how, ten, ten stories high. Wow. That's pretty 15 close, 15 stories high. Okay. Like I told you, it's very difficult. Right, right, it right. It was very I just kind of wanted to see if we can picture how high do you think it was. Oh, no, like, no. Does it look like it was above your house? Or is it like... It felt like it was a, just above the house. But okay. again, because of the blackness, the, the, the depth of the black that was whatever it was, it was very difficult to exactly see the I mean, edges. See edges? No, you couldn't see the edges. Exactly. So it, it almost looked like it was infinite. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, gotcha. it was so big. You know? Oh, wow. It's when it went up and it went up pretty high, then I noticed the, the shape right. and wow. the light. But again, the light was the thing that really blew my mind. How come light is not reflecting on glass? Because it wasn't really emitting like a spotlight, kind of like, kind of like, um, you know, helicopter plane, uh, helicopter police that have a spotlight that shines down. No, no, no. It wasn't like that, right? No, it looked like a picture of a light. Wow. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And this is, it, it kind of messes with your brain. Mm-hmm. So 
And like I told you, it took me a couple of minutes to realize what I was looking at because my brain could not register And how did the people around you react when you saw it? They thought I was crazy. What do you think? Oh, so they didn't see it? No. (coughs) (laughs) No, they thought I was crazy. What are you smoking, Gerard? Oh, man. That's exactly what my sister-in-law asked me, actually. You know? Okay, okay. Interesting. So, um... So they didn't see it this time. You were the only sole witness in Puerto Rico. Yes. In Puerto Rico. Oh yeah. But the other one, you kind of had witnesses. And this one was in Haiti, if I'm not mistaken, right? This one was in Haiti. And it was after this one, after oh, the one in Puerto Rico. Years, way after. years after, right? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. We're talking about what five years ago? The one, the one in Haiti happened. Yeah. I was in Haiti when that happened. That was before I got there. Had to be before no. I got there. No. It's something like five years ago. It's something fairly recent. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that one was that oh, recent. No, 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 when you, no, no. So Very when you recent. told me the story back then, it was like... It had just happened. What? Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. We were at a friend's house. We were like maybe eight or ten people. You're in the mountains? La Boule? Yeah, in La Boule. Okay. Okay. Which is not a lot of light. If, if people don't know, um, in, the, in La Boule, the mountains, there's not much like street light. It's, no, If you're at no someone's house, lights. yeah, there's no light at all. The light only emits from whatever the house is. So if you were in the backyard at your friend's house, it's pitch black. It's like you went camping. Oh, of course. Listen, the other day I was talking to Kevin about this thing. In Miami, you cannot see the, the yeah, sky. Yeah, we're robbed a lot of what we can't see in the night sky because of all the light pollution we have here. In Haiti. There's no light pollution. There's no light pollution whatsoever. Yeah. So we were at a friend's house. We were about 10 people. And again, I got the same feeling somebody's looking at me. Okay? And for some reason, I just raised my head. And I look at the sky, and I'm looking at a freaking UFO hovering over our head just above the trees. And this one, I could definitely see the shape because it was round. Not very big, with a light in the middle, again, not emitting any rays. So it's not, yeah, so it's not lighting down on you. It's not no, making it's not. light. It's not making light, okay? And this is the part that freaks me out a little bit because it's like, again, it doesn't register, you know? How come a light is not emitting any light? But you know what else we didn't mention? Uh, the sound. No sound. Exactly. There's no sound, no, no propulsion, sound. nothing. No, zero sound. So when I looked up, because I know all my friends and my dear wife think I'm crazy, I didn't say anything. I just looked up and I smiled. And two people, two of our friends that were sitting in the same position that I was, look at me and they see me look up and they looked up themselves. One of them is a doctor. The other one is like a very serious person. We're not talking about just airheads here. They look up and they start yelling and running. Yeah, they're, they're like freaked out. They're they like seeing a shark out. on land. Yes, <laughs> they freaked out. I mean, it's the first time I've seen them freak out the way they did, okay? They freaked out and started running. Then suddenly when they got up and freaked out, that thing just went up, 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 and it just shoot up to such a speed that you couldn't see anything. Wow. And, and actually, it, it shoot up and it went side, side, sideways. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know? That's pretty crazy. Uh, listen, are these things real? Definitely, they are real. What are they? I have no idea. Yeah, that's, that's the question, right? Okay. What are they? Are they of drones? Course. Are they, are they uh, humans? Are, is it a government that has some, and they're playing around, they have some secret tech? You know what I think it is? 
you know how we have drones, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when we want to go see something, we send a drone. Mm -hmm. We're in Mars. We have a drone over there. It's a of rover, course. whatever you want to call it. It's still a drone. It's not man-operated. It's of our course. technology leaving our planet to go to another planet to explore it. That's kind of what I feel like these things are. I think they are from maybe another civilization outside of ours that's far, far more advanced that can send these undetectable objects to do research on planets to see how much they've evolved. And it's I think, probable. And I think it's even to the point where these advanced civilizations know which planets to go to because we know right now on Earth, we know that we live in what's called the Goldilocks zone, which is the perfect distance between the sun and space so that you can create life, right? Yeah, but did you notice something? What? Scientists are starting to change a lot about their theories about what is space, what is this, what is that, the, mm. th the Goldilocks distance, mm -hmm. because they're starting to learn new things. I'll be very clear and honest with you about this subject. No, please lie. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You see about this alien thing and the whole thing and the whole shebang? Yeah. I mean, you look at things and they tell you Antarctica is just the edge and blah, blah. I mean, again, that's a round earth versus a flat earth. And right. Blah. Okay. I'm starting to maybe think that things are not exactly what they seem. Right. The planet Earth is millions and millions of years old. It's billions. According to science, okay. it's four. Okay. Now... According to science, species evolve, become uh, through time intel intelligent or whatever reason, environment makes them different, and then blah, blah. Then you get to a human. But who says, since we're talking about billions of years ago, that there were not already creatures, intelligent creatures, already on Earth? Oh. So for me, it's now also becoming a possibility. Yeah, it's definitely a theory of uh, <coughs> a, a past civilization that was here before that possibly saw or foresaw a calamity that was going to happen and then they were able to leave the system maybe? Or no, I'm not even saying leaving. I'm saying that these... They're still here? Oh, yeah. They've been there. Maybe they were the first Earth inhabitant and that they're still there. Simply, they're so advanced... But you, you know? but you're saying you don't think they originated from Earth. You're saying like maybe they came from outside, or you're no, talking no, about no, no, evolved no. from Earth. I'm talking about evolving from Earth. Okay, evolving from Earth. So no outside interference here. No. Okay. So for me, that also is a possibility. Right. You know, I mean, again, science uh, can tell you so much. I mean, right. men science can tell you so much, but there's so much unexplained. Okay. So for me, this is why I'm telling you myself. I don't have these like eyelets on the side of my head. Uh, I, I think about and look at whatever possibilities there are. And it turns out for me, again, that's my personal opinion, that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. You know? So you might have very, very advanced, okay, species here on Earth. Why would you be the only one very advanced according to law of evolution and all of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Why would humans be the only one? So, again, that remains a possibility for me. Yeah, sure. You know, of course, now about uh, space exploration and all the rest, I don't know about that. Right. Now, is it possible that there's outside life? Of course, I think there is. You know, because I don't think we're the only one living thing. 
again, they were telling you that the Earth is such a unique place and in our galaxy that we were the only planet that could sustain life. And suddenly, for the past 10 years, there's, they're telling you that science is discovering a bunch of planets that are livable, that have atmosphere, that has water, that has this yeah, and that, are, that and but this But they're and not that. in our solar system. In planet. our solar system. In our solar system? Yes. No, in our galaxy. Uh, I mean, yeah, in our... In our galaxy. Yeah, in our yeah, galaxy. In the Milky Way, not in, in our solar system. No, 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 sorry. Yeah, in, yeah. The gal in our yeah. galaxy. Yeah, right. Because... Uh, but before, they were saying there's no such thing in our galaxy. Right, because we couldn't see. Right. Now we can. We got the Hubble telescope that was there right. since the 60s, I think. And now yes. it was replaced by the James Webb telescope, which has now yes. started to rethink the way scientists are seeing space. Because now we can see further yes like closer to what we but would call the big bang or whatever like because there's still reminiscence of the big bang even to this day even though it happened like billions of years ago yeah well, still who see. says i mean at the right, end of the day if we go to the who says discussion the who says argument then what are scientists even saying why do you even believe in what scientists say I, at the end of the day because scientists for me they have a limited knowledge i mean they're trying of course right they're trying to make sense of things yes right now but again, there are humans trying realize, to make sense of things. Do you realize that so far they found about eight livable planets that looks like Earth? I think it's more than that. But yeah, I they, they've, was, they've uh, seen some. No, I think they're up to eight. Okay? Mm, okay. Now, this is crazy. Or maybe more. I don't know. This is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. You ever okay. seen a super, uh, uh, the, the super Earths? Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple it, of uh, Like imagine Earth the thing. size of Jupiter. That's that has land, water, all these things. But it's it's so crazy to think that, like we know for certain that these planets look like, and based on our assumption, because of the way they look like and how close they are to Earth, we assume that they can house life. Not knowing what the interior biology of the planet is, it could not even have air. You know, it could be an airless planet. Or maybe not. If it has trees, from what are Again, it's going to go back to what we said about the scientists and how much we know about our planet, photosynthesis and how oxygen is created and how we need oxygen to breathe and survive and all these things. But in a planet where we see exterior, right? So we're looking through a telescope. We see another planet. It looks like Earth. Are we to assume that there's oxygen on this planet? Are we to assume that it's livable because it kind of looks like ours and it has trees and water, so we assume that they do some sort of photosynthesis? Okay. There are certain rules of science that are set in stone. For certain things to happen a certain way, this has to happen, right? Right. Okay. Um, obviously, from what they're saying, there's oxygen because of these things. Right. Okay. So, since these are set rules, so automatically it is assumed that these planets are holding some sort, some type of life. Mm -hmm. Again, definition of life is very... Uh, it's very broad because somebody's going to be like, broad, is, there, you know? is there like an animal living there? Or are we talking about organisms? Exactly. Like microorganisms. Exactly. Now imagine in lava, in volcano lavas. Yeah, there's life in that shit. There's life. Yeah. There are organisms that are thriving mm -hmm. in hot molten rock. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? I mean, so, how? I mean. See, if you, if you ask that, then how is any of this possible? So you see, in the possibilities are really endless. I mean, right. it's like, so for me, whoever thinks about anything, 
okay, needs to keep a very, very open and a broad mind. Agreed. 100%. Because again, what you see might not be the reality. Right. Again, this is one of the reasons why I tend to question anything that I'm being told. And, it, and, and you should. It's your right to question things. Because if you took everything as an absolute, then we would probably be under dictatorship. Uh, yeah, but the world, that's not what they want. Yeah, of course. They? But that's what was going back to the UFO thing and how I think they're like, man, like they're up operated like types of drones you see how we're able to see these exterior planets and we're like oh man that looks like it's a livable planet imagine we had the technology to send a drone over there we can't send ourselves there because we can't survive the travel but what if we can send a piece of equipment there but that's what i think what we see here that we say is aliens yeah, like your ship that you saw supposedly that's what I think they it did is. that though. yeah yeah that's no? what i'm saying that's what i'm we the we we as a species have thousands of objects in our solar system around our planet we have two voyager one and voyager two that were sent in the 60s that are technically now outside of our solar system it's beyond our reach and if i'm not mistaken one of them is dead like the battery is dead now right. and the other one is it still has a little bit of life left and inside these these spacecrafts is just a bunch of stuff about earth like uh, languages, music, culture, colors, everything, what we think uh, mathematics, um, a composition of photosynthesis, all these types of things are on this, um, are on this, uh, are on this uh, Voyager so that if an alien or an ex extraterrestrial life finds it, they know where it came from. But couldn't that necessarily be a bad thing? Like, think about it. Like, let's say that information got to the wrong fucking hands, right? And now these people are like, holy shit, look at this beautiful little planet that these people are destroying. Let's go over there and take it. Take it. They don't know what they got. You remember Stephen Hawkins? Yeah. You remember what he said about other intelligent life out there? If there is? Mm -mm. Enlighten me. Okay. If I remember correctly, this was basically what he had said. If we take human history into account, mm -hmm. how humans in evolved, humans are conquerors, okay? And we conquer people on Earth. He said, if you are dealing with much more advanced civilization and smarter people or whatever entity there is, if they do come to Earth, it's going to be for one and one thing only. To conquer. It's to conquer. So, so there's no friendly alien that's going to come here. So according to him, there is no friendly alien. Because why would they come share a planet that they know that the <coughs> inhabitants just want to conquer everything? Yes. So because we're, good, we're just going to want to take their tech, go back to their house, and just colonize that shit. But again, if you look at human history, that's exactly what we would do. Yeah. Now they're telling you, I mean, if you listen to these stories and you believe these stories about the UFOs being uh -huh. uh, uh, like Roswell or whatever, that they use reverse technology. Yeah, they try okay. to reverse, they try right. to, yeah, that, that was the whole thing with the Bob Lazar. Yes. How he, they were, he was brought in to kind of do reverse engineering Correct. on the alien spaceship Correct. to see how they got here or how they travel or whatever. Correct. But yeah. now, do you realize that every time that humans, whatever country in the world, use reverse technology, it's for one and one purpose only. To make a weapon. To make a weapon for war. Yeah. It's never for peace. It's never for the betterment of humans. Okay. No. Pretty crazy. So imagine <laughs> that you're an alien, okay, <laughs> smarter alien, and well, you're looking at this race that 
these guys are just basic motherfuckers, man. Yeah. Okay, they want to destroy. They want to conquer and destroy everything. If it doesn't go their way, they will destroy you. 100%. What would you do? <laughs> I would probably not even come, to be honest. It's like going to a bad neighborhood. <laughs> probably not even try to go there. Or maybe it's or like, maybe you you're so rich you just buy out the whole fucking neighborhood and you just or, repopulate it and build shit or whatever. I don't no, know. It's like if I see your planet, it's like hmm, I like this planet. It has potential. I love it. Uh, but whatever is living inside, I need to get rid of. Yeah, like fleas on a dog or something. I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Gerard, it was an absolute pleasure to uh, have this conversation with you and talk about these stories. I love talking about them. Um, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get to talk about and we'll definitely get to talk about the next time I have you on like, sure. uh, uh, like the cancer with Ingrid when she had breast cancer mm -hmm. and even some other conspiracy stuff. So like, I know you have a different take on how the Titanic sank. So we're not even going to entertain <laughs> that right now. We'll just do it on the next time. So, uh, again, thank you so much for coming and, You're so uh, welcome. uh, had a great time. Always a pleasure, man. Ciao, everybody. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Oliver Stone Podcast, Safe Journeys Across the Stars.